All right, good morning. Men, let me say a few things about our Disciples Made program. It is the primary means through which we grow men spiritually here at Central Church. Uh, you can be in a life group, you, you can be serving somewhere, but Disciples Made is a program that's intended to grow men spiritually, and I encourage every man to be a part of it. So if you've never been involved in Disciples Made, the first step is Followers Made, becoming a follower of Christ, what that looks like. That's a six-month program. Uh, once you complete the, the Followers Made program, you can, if you want to continue with the program, step into the Leaders Made program. That's a nine-month program. Um, let me just strongly encourage you guys. I hear two things from Christian men all the time. Number one, I don't read the Bible because I don't understand it. I, it intimidates me, so I, I just don't read it. Well, Disciples Made is intended to help you break through that. So every day you are reading from Scripture, reading books of the Bible. Once a week you come together with the, the 10 to 12 guys in your group after writing down questions from your reading, making notes in your reading. Then you come together and you talk about the verses of Scripture, either that you didn't understand or that you want more understanding of. And so it's, a, it's going to get you in the discipline of reading God's Word, studying God's Word on a daily basis, and then internalizing that and walking that in, that in your life. The second thing I hear from men is I, just, I don't have any Christian men friends. I don't have a community of men that, that I'm accountable to, that, that know me, that pray with me and care for me. And that's the second part of this program is it, I, I've not found a man that's, that's finished this program, whether it's a six-month program or a nine-month program, that the, at the end of that said, yeah, it really wasn't worth it, or I really didn't get close to the guys in my group. For the most part, you learn how to study the Bible, you grow in your faith, and you get connected with men at a very deep level. So I, I can't encourage you men enough. There's a table outside if you go through these center doors to the left. Some of the men that are, that are leaders in the program are there to answer your questions. You can sign up today if you want. One last thing. If you are current active military or a veteran, we, we have leaders that are willing to lead a military type group because oftentimes guys that have been in the military just don't trust a lot of people, but they trust guys, brothers that have been in the military with them. And so if you would like that kind of group, just let the guys know at the table and we, we're having a sign-up sheet for that group as well. Um, we want every man to grow in Christ and we think this is about the best program that we can offer. All right? Good to see everyone this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible this morning, and I hope you do, take it out and open to the book of Matthew. If you, if you found the New Testament, you found Matthew, because Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. If you're watching us online this morning, welcome, whether that's Facebook Live or our, our website. If you're in Overflow in Oakwood Chapel this morning, God bless you. Thank you for, for joining us in the concourse, wherever you are. We're just glad you're joining us this morning. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, we're continuing our study called Extraordinary. It's a study in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, which covers Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. Let's pray together. Holy Spirit, I, I invite you now to move powerfully among us, to touch lives this morning, God, to open our hearts to, to the reality of biblical truth, to help us not only know what it means to put it, but put it into practice in our lives and live it out, God. Help us to do that today. And for those that are here or watching us that are just in need of a healing touch or the power of the Spirit to work in their lives, Lord, fall on their lives today and minister according to their need. In Jesus' name, amen. So when I started this series, I said the Sermon on the Mount is sort of like a picture that Jesus paints. It's like this canvas that Jesus is on this canvas painting a picture of what it looks like to be a follower 
or a true disciple of Jesus. But, but it's more than that. Actually, what it is, he shows us what extraordinary character looks like. And it's not just extraordinary character, it's the character of Christ. So the Sermon on the Mount actually reveals the character of Jesus, and he invites us to live out his character. Uh, Jerzy Oshevsky, one of our students here, is a great artist, and she's been uh, putting on the canvas here a little painting of each of the, the Beatitudes that we cover, and all of these symbolize the first five that we've looked at. And if you have your Bible in Matthew chapter 5, we're going to read the first 12 verses together and jump right into our teaching this morning. One day, as Jesus saw the crowds gathering around him, he went up on the mountainside and he sat down. His disciples gathered around him and he began to teach them. Now, Jesus spoke the words that are about to follow in, in, in real time in that place, but he's also speaking the same words today. See, the Word of God is eternal. So the same teaching that Jesus instructed those disciples that had gathered around him, he's teaching us the same things right now. And he said, God blesses those who are poor in spirit and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble or meek, for they will inherit the whole earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they will be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace or the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. God blesses those who are persecuted for doing what's right or for righteousness' sake, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses you when people mock you, persecute you lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. Be happy about it. Be very glad for a great reward awaits you in heaven. And remember, the ancient prophets were persecuted in the same way. We're just covering one more beatitude this morning. It's chapter 5, verse 8, and it says this, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When my parents told me to clean my room when I was a kid, essentially what I did was I went into my room and I picked up all the toys on the floor and all of the athletic equipment and I shoved it under the bed. And then I found all of the dirty clothes laying all over my room and I scooped those clothes up and I went and I threw them in my closet and I closed the door. Then I went over the dresser and all of the, the clutter that was on top of my dresser, I just opened the top drawer and I just scooted everything into that and then I shut the drawer. And then I went and I made my bed and it looked clean. But further inspection revealed my hypocrisy in telling mom and dad that I had cleaned my room when all I had done was covered the mess. I just covered the mess. I hadn't cleaned the room. And unfortunately, that's a pretty accurate picture of many of our spiritual lives. It looks clean on the outside. It looks good and it looks orderly just don't look in the closet. Just don't look under the bed because it's a mess. My, my freshman year of college, I was playing basketball at Azusa Pacific University. And after games, I would go out and party with some of the guys on the team that wanted to party. It was a Christian school. And during the week I'm in a Christian school, I'm acting like a good person. And the coach even asked every player to share devotions on the team. And so I'd get my Bible out and I'd share a devotion. And then after a game, I'd go and party. 
And one day I was sitting in my coach's, my coach's office talking with him, a godly man, and he began to open my closet door. And he started looking under my bed. And I realized what a hypocrite I was. What, what a hypocrite I was to give an appearance that I had my life together spiritually and yet I'm living a totally different life. And I just broke in that moment. And I wept before my coach. And I realized that something significant needed to change in my life. See, the Sermon on the Mount forces us to deal with what's in the closet. The Sermon on the Mount forces us to deal with the stuff that's under the bed. When Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, he was saying that what happens on the inside is more important than what happens on the outside. Because essentially, what, what's happening on the inside is going to dictate or determine what happens on the outside. John Piper says, your heart is who you are in the secrecy of your thoughts and feelings when no one knows about it except God. Your heart is who you are in the secrecy of your thoughts and feelings when no one knows what's in there except God. Your heart is who you are on the inside. Jesus dealt with this issue over and over with the Jewish religious leaders. He said things like this in Matthew 23. You blind Pharisees, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of the cup may also become clean. Do you see what he's saying? Clean the inside and it takes care of the outside. Deal with the heart, and you're going to deal with the actions of the heart. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you, you are like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but on the inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too outwardly appear righteous to people, but inwardly you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness as I was when I sat in my coach's office, as I was when I told my parents I had cleaned my room. See, Jesus sees what's in the closet. And Jesus sees what's under the bed. And Jesus sees what's in the drawer. And he's not impressed. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. When Jesus said that, the word heart in the Greek is the, is the Greek word cardia. That, that word for heart means, um, typically in the Bible, your, your mind, your will, your emotions. It's the center of your personality. It's the control center for your decisions. That's your heart. What happens in your heart affects everything else in your life. And so Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all diligence because from the heart flows the springs of life. What is he saying? Well, the natural heart in the human body, the heart organ, pumps blood effectively into every cell in your body. It gives life. There's life in the blood. And the heart is the means through which that life 
gets pumped into every part of who you are. If the heart is healthy, the body's healthy. If the heart's not healthy, you are not a healthy person. And the same is true spiritually. If your spiritual heart isn't healthy, it's going to affect every part of who you are. So guard your heart with diligence because from your heart flows the springs of life. Blessed are the pure in heart. That word pure is, has a couple nuances. One of them is obvious. It's the idea of clean or unstained or undefiled. It's a pure heart. But the other nuance means to be like singly focused or wholly devoted or undivided in your heart. In other words, you're not serving God and serving other things. Your, your heart is focused. You're single in your focus toward God. So a pure heart is a heart that's morally clean in the presence of God, and it's a heart that's fully devoted to Him. When Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, that's what He meant. How are you doing with that purity of heart? The reward for the pure in heart, Jesus says, is you will see God. The word see just means to know, to have a relationship with, to be intimate with, to be close enough to know and, and understand. And there's, there's two stages to knowing God. There, there's the initial stage be, before you, you know Christ, before you surrender your life to Christ, before you recognize your need for God, when your heart is completely filled with sin and, and all manner of wickedness and uncleanness. And the scripture says that that, that uncleanness, that sin, keeps you from God because it's impossible for someone in, with sin and darkness in their heart to come into the presence of a holy God. So in order for you to come into the presence of a holy God, for me to come into God's presence, initially, I have to have my sin washed away. I've got to have that uncleanness removed so I can enter into a relationship with God. And that's what happens when you put your trust in Christ for the very first time. We talk about the blood of Jesus, which is really a reference to his death, his, his bleeding out on the cross. And we talk about the blood of Jesus is what, or the death of Jesus, is what washes away our sin. When Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, stage one is coming into a relationship with him because you've asked Christ to forgive your sin. You've put your trust in him. You realize, I can't change my sinful condition. This is permanent unless Christ, who died on the cross for me, cleanses me. A pure heart is not possible without Christ's forgiveness in your life. But there's stage two. Stage two is the ongoing relationship that you have with God once you've surrendered to Christ. And so there's this sense in which we are to maintain a pure heart before the Lord. So we, we come into his presence for the first time by having our sin cleansed and forgiven so that we can be in the presence of a holy and righteous God. But then we are to maintain that. Now, the, the reality of that is that my heart becomes pure as a result of the Spirit's work, the Holy Spirit. I, I can't do this on my own. I, I need God's help and God's work in this. So we read in, in Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29, Paul says, you are not a true Jew. That, that, that means part of God's people. Just because you were born of Jewish parents, or because you've gone through the, the ceremony of circumcision. No, a true Jew is one whose heart is right with God. See, you've surrendered to Christ. 
And true circumcision is not merely obeying the letter of the law outwardly. Rather, it's a change of heart produced by the Spirit. It's not just trying to manipulate your actions to the best of your ability to do what God wants. No, it's an inward change of the heart. It's a cleansing of the heart, a purifying of the heart through faith in Christ. In, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, Paul says, I'm confident, I'm certain that God, who was the one that began this spiritual work in you, he will continue it until it's finally finished on the day when Christ returns. So God's commitment to you and to me is that when we start this journey with God, we start this relationship, which started by the Holy Spirit, he began the work, the Holy Spirit's going to continue that work of refining and purifying and developing us into the image of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit's gonna work. Chapter two, verse 13 says this, God is working in you, the Spirit is working in you, giving you both the desire and the power to do what he wants. So God is working in our hearts to purify us, to, to change our hearts, to make us more like Christ. But the reality is the Holy Spirit doesn't do this without our permission. The Holy, doesn't, the Holy Spirit doesn't do this without our partnership. So, so we are to work with the Holy Spirit in maintaining a pure heart before the Lord. Are you following me this morning? So you, you need a pure heart to know God through Christ's forgiveness. And then on an ongoing basis, we need to maintain and develop purity of heart before the Lord. And that's what I want to talk about for a few minutes this morning. How can I develop a pure heart? And the first thing is by asking the Holy Spirit to change my thinking or correct my thinking. By asking the Holy Spirit to correct my thinking. So, so David says in, in Psalm 51, verse 10, after he had sinned with Bathsheba, committed adultery, David says in, in Psalm 51, I'm sorry, yeah, Psalm 51, 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, a pure heart, and renew a right spirit within me. In Hebrew poetry, this is called parallelism, where the first line of a stanza is followed by the second line in the stanza, and they mean the same thing, but they use different words. So, create in me a clean heart, which essentially means you're giving me again a right spirit. You're correcting my thinking related to my sin. Help me to see this as you see it. Help me to align my heart, God, with your truth. Because, because in order for us to, to allow the Holy Spirit and invite the Holy Spirit to correct our thinking, we have to have a teachable spirit, right? We have to be humble. Otherwise, we're just going to justify our sin in God's presence. We're going to come up with excuses and reasons as to why we sinned, and we're not going to take responsibility, nor are we going to see that sin from God's perspective. So a few years ago, Shirlene and I were, were coming here to church for, for an evening meeting. And on the way there, we got into an argument. You ever do that on the way to church? You get into an argument on the way to church? We did. And, and we're arguing on the way to church, and I look at the fuel gauge. I'm driving her car, and it's on empty. And that just ignited the flame for me. It was about 25 degrees, 40-mile-an-hour winds, wind chill of about minus 10. And it's some kind of sleet or sideways rain or something was happening. And so I realized I've got to pull into the gas station and get out of the car and stand there for a few minutes, which I really didn't want to do. So we stop and get gas, and I'm torqued, and I get back into the car, and we get to the church. 
Now, at the church, we had these like overhangs at the entrances. So I could have pulled in there and let her out. <laughs> Not that day. So I park about 50 yards out in the parking lot. I get out of the car and I just kind of run to the door. And she's kind of, you know, shuffling along in the 50 mile an hour winds, minus 10 wind chill and icy sleet in her face. And she gets to the door. I open the door for her. I was kind, <laughs> kind enough to, or not stupid enough to not open the door, whichever. I open the door for her and she says, why didn't you wait for me? And I said, why should we both be cold? Yeah, you get it. Not the brightest moment as a husband ever. And so hold that thought, that picture for a moment. So I can go before the Lord recognizing something was wrong here and something needs to be fixed here. But if I'm not asking God to correct my thinking, my prayer is going to look like this. Lord, you know, because you're a guy, you know, I'm just kidding. <laughs> God's neither male nor female. You know, God. If she would have got gas in the car, this never would have happened, right? Just, just, just figure it out. Put gas in the tank. Or she needs to be strong enough to walk 50 yards in 50-mile-an-hour winds and minus 10 windshield, right? She, she just needs to be able to do that. I mean, I can think of every reason why it's her fault. Now, listen to what, what David said in Psalm 139. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Look in the closet, look under the bed, look right into my heart, and know my anxious thoughts. Then he says this, point out anything in me that what? That offends you. So Lord, in this situation, what offended you in me? Because my behavior as a husband was totally offensive to God. Because Jesus never treats his bride that way. Jesus honors his bride. Jesus cares for his bride. I was an offense to the very character and nature of God. And he's called me to represent him in the world. He's called me to represent him as a husband to a wife. God was offended by my behavior. So if I go before the Lord and I say, Lord, point out anything in me that offends you and lead me along the path, of, that means I'm teachable. That means I'm humble. That, that means I say, God, please, as much as it hurts, align my heart with your truth about this situation. The words that I spoke to that person at work, the fallout of relationship that I had with that person, this area of my life, because my tendency is to think that I do everything right and everyone else does, does everything wrong. It's always their fault. Until I go before the Lord and I say, create in me a clean heart and renew a right spirit or attitude or way of thinking about my life. And Lord, if there's anything in me that's offensive to you, pointed out. That's maintaining a pure heart before the Lord, which leads us into the second point, which is how do we develop a pure heart? We ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse our sin. We ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse our sin. 
So 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9 says, if we, if we say we have no sin, how many times do we do that with the Lord? It's not me. It's her. If we say we have no sin, we're, we're fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins, he's speaking to the church. If we confess our sins to him, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to do what? Say it again. One more time. Cleanse, wash, purify, make clean our hearts before him. We are to maintain a pure heart before the Lord by asking for forgiveness of our sin. He will cleanse us from all wickedness. Again, Psalm 51, verse 7. After David sins with Bathsheba, purify me from my sins and then I'll be clean. Wash me and then I'll be whiter than snow. How do we develop and maintain a pure heart before the Lord? This is where we say to God, God, I not only want to have the appearance of a clean room, I want to actually have a clean room. I want the closet to be clean. I want, I want the, under the bed to be cleared out. I want things to be put in order in my life. So Lord, as you've identified these areas of offense in my heart, I bring that to you and I say, oh God, would you forgive me? Oh God, would you cleanse me and wash me? Because it's only through your cleansing that my heart gets pure. I can't make my heart pure. It's only as, as I align my heart with your truth that you show me and as you forgive my sin that I'm clean. And, and the third thing is this. We have to ask the Holy Spirit to change our desires. So ask the Holy Spirit to correct our thinking, ask the Holy Spirit to cleanse our sin, and then ask the Holy Spirit to change my desires. Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 and 17 was, was a set of verses that I memorized at an early age. I, I memorized these verses. They, they are some of my favorite verses in all of the Bible because they're so honest and real. I, I can relate. Some scripture, you know, doesn't connect as well as others for me, but, but this one hit me. This one was like, that's true. Like, I get that. And I, I'm thankful that Paul was so honest about life. Here's what he said. Paul says, I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. What do I like about this verse? He's honest. You have a sinful nature. I have a sinful nature that craves things that God doesn't want for me, for us, right? We, we have this evil, sinful nature. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Holy Spirit wants. And the Holy Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces, what two forces? The Holy Spirit's desires and the desires of our flesh are constantly fighting each other or opposing each other so you're not free to carry out your good intentions. In other words, there's something trying to resist you from doing what is right and what is good in your life. But, but this civil war is going on. There are things in your life that God wants you to do that you don't want to do. And there are things in your life that God doesn't want you to do that you want to do. Maybe I, I shouldn't speak for you. Let me just speak for me. I call them the I want to's and the I don't want to's. The things I want to do that God doesn't want me to do and the things I don't want to do that God does want me to do. And I made a list. And maybe, maybe you can identify with, with a couple of these on the list. I, th this is your flesh. I want to hold a grudge against that person. I want to say something rude in response to what they just did. I want to just go out and get drunk. I want to hurt those who have hurt me. 
I want to look at pornography. I want to use profanity. I want to have sex outside of marriage. I want to be dishonest and not tell the truth. I want to walk away from my marriage. I want to retaliate and get revenge and make that person pay. Desires of the flesh. And then the I don't want to's of the flesh. I don't want to forgive that person. I don't want to be sexually pure. I don't want to be kind in response to how I'm being treated. I don't want to be generous with my money. I want to spend it all on me. I don't want to tell the truth. I don't want to overlook this offense because it's so painful. I don't want to admit that I was wrong. I don't want to stop partying. I don't want to have to say the right thing. I don't want to commit to serving at church and giving up my free time. I don't want to pray. I don't want to read scripture. I don't want to. We all have those. What are yours? Now, here's what I've found to be true. Because this point is, invite the Holy Spirit to change your desires. And I found that over time, as I walk with the Lord, as I ask the Lord to align my heart with his truth, to correct my thinking, as I invite the Lord to cleanse the closet and to cleanse under the bed, as I open my heart to the Lord, and as I invite the Lord by the Holy Spirit to change my desires, he begins to do it. Friends, there are, there are things that used to be a temptation to me 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, that are not a temptation anymore. Like I've grown in that area. Like you could set that in front of me and it's not, it's not tempting anymore because the Holy Spirit has changed my desires. Amen? And he'll do it in your life. Right now, that thing you are struggling with the most, that thing that's tripping you up the most, if you continue to press into God, if you continue to, to just invite the Holy Spirit to give you a pure heart and I believe follow these and ask the Holy Spirit to change your desires, you're going to find that they weaken over time. They, they become less significant in your life. That's the good news. That's why Paul said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you is going to bring it to completion. There's going to be growth in your life. God gives you the, 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 the power and the desire to do what pleases him. See, your desires can begin to change. The theological word is sanctification. You grow into the image of Jesus. Your desires begin to change, and that's our hope in Christ. Let me ask you this morning as we as we bring our time to a close. Do you know Christ? Have you ever had your sinful, wicked, unclean heart before God dealt with? Have you ever entered into a relationship? I want, if you haven't, I want to invite you this morning to say yes to Christ. Ask him to cleanse your heart from its impurity and its sin so that you can know or see, have a relationship with God. And if you already know Christ, what do you need to do today? to develop a more pure heart. Maybe today you need to invite God to the closet. Maybe you need to invite God to look under the bed. Maybe you need to go before the Lord and say, Lord, man, restore to me a right spirit. Help me not be defensive. Help me to, to see what you, how I'm offending you. Maybe it's going before the Lord and doing that. But friends, Jesus said, Blessed, blessed, blessed are the pure in heart. He invokes a blessing on those who maintain a pure heart before him. It's the best life you can live. It's the extraordinary life 
when your heart is pure before Christ. Would you pray with me? And if you're here this morning and you, you want to invite Christ into your life for the very first time, would you pray with me? Jesus, I know I have sin in my heart and it's keeping me from knowing you. I believe you went to the cross to die and to shed your blood, that that blood, that very blood might wash away the sin from my heart. Please forgive me, God, and save me from my sin. And Lord, give me the Holy Spirit that I can live differently, that my desires can begin to change in my life. And for those this morning, Lord, that know you, I would, I would ask that you would give us a teachable spirit. That, that, Lord, you would, you would give us the, the, the willingness and the honesty and the integrity to invite you into the whole room. Lord, to let you begin to deal with the issues of our heart. That, that we can enjoy and walk in a pure heart and know you more intimately as a result. In Christ's name, amen.